0: Thank you for listening to this message from Shepherds Gate Church in Shelby Township, Michigan. To learn more about Shepherds Gate and to access more content, go to sgatechurch.org. Well, today we have made it to week seven of our current sermon series called Prologue, where we are going through the first several chapters of the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. And so if this is your first time with, you, with us, I just want to warmly welcome you. If you're watching online, thanks so much for tuning in. Um, I'll actually be in this West Lobby after the service. We're kind of uh, transitioning and making this kind of our new gathering area because that's where the parents actually end up after they pick up their kids. So you'll see this transition slowly but surely taking place. Uh, where we're just encouraging everybody to kind of gather on the West side of our building. So we'll hope that you will join us after the service. And especially if you're new, I'd love to just be able to thank you for being here at Shepherd's Gate today. Uh, The way that we do this is we walk systematically through the book of the Bible, so we go through every chapter and verse, and uh, some of you, uh, you've told me, or some of you, I've noticed that you have really committed this year to being here every week, and I just want you to know how proud I am of you for doing that. So can we give those people a hand that just, they're just making sure that they're here. (laughs) And if you're you're sitting there going, I'm a member of this church and I missed the last two weeks or three weeks or whatever the case is, hey, this is what's so cool about uh, live streaming the services. As soon as the service is done being live streamed, it's recorded and you can go back and watch on demand. So if you have missed any of the first six sermons in this, I would encourage you because we have talked about some pretty tough topics, have we not? I mean, we've covered uh, some pretty heavy ground and I just believe it'll be a blessing to you and particularly in this, in that it will help explain some of the chaos that we see going on in our world. If there's anything that, ans- that Genesis does, is it answers some of the most fundamental questions that we have about life and our role and where we find ourselves here on this planet. So today, we're in the middle of Genesis chapter 3, and as you heard Kelly say in uh, the announcements, Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday, and maybe you've never been to an Ash Wednesday service before. Can I just encourage you to make this year your first Ash Wednesday service? So much so that we're doing this revolutionary thing we've never done before. We're having a 12 o'clock Ash Wednesday service. And are you wondering why are you doing a 12 o'clock Ash Wednesday service? Anybody wonder that? Okay good all three of you Great. <laughs> this is why because we have a lot of people in our church that tell us they don't like driving at night okay so 12 o'clock in the afternoon we can do that Uh, Also, we have a lot of people who are retired at Shepherd's Gate and continue to retire, and so they have a little bit of extra time, and so maybe they're able to do a noon service, as well as those of you that work at home, and maybe you could come and be part of that service on your lunch break. So we're just trying to make it so that everyone can be part of a service, so either 12 noon or 7 p.m. this Wednesday night. We would love to have you there. So today we're going to be looking at verses 8 to 13 in Genesis chapter 3. There's chair Bibles in front of you. If you want to grab one of those, if you're watching online, grab your Bible. uh, Have it open on your couch or on your kitchen table. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take one home with you today. But we are on page 3, Genesis chapter 3, right in the middle of this chapter. Uh, This Wednesday we will actually conclude chapter 3 of Genesis. So it's actually part of our sermon series. So this is what it says Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. It's our kids' verse for the day. It says, And they, they being Adam and Eve, the first two people that God created and put on the planet, it said, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. All right, so if you haven't been with us, let me just catch you up real quick. God creates the universe, he creates Adam and Eve, and he puts these two in the garden and he says, you can have everything that I have created for you. You can have 99.9% of everything that you see in the garden. Just don't eat from this one tree in the middle of the garden. It's called the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and just stay away from it. Don't eat the fruit from it. Even if it's enticing, even if someone tells you to eat from it, don't do it. Just stay away from this one tree. But you can walk around and you can enjoy everything else that I have given you. And so here they are. They're living the dream. If you remember last week, they were naked and they felt absolutely no shame. I mean, what a credible gift to have, to be naked and have absolutely no shame. To have everything at your disposal. But what ends up happening is, is they fall into a trap. The devil comes to them. He possesses a creature of God, and he begins to speak to them and begins to put doubt into their minds of what God had actually said. And they believe this lie of the devil, and so they go to the middle of the garden. They go to this tree. They eat from the fruit, and in one moment, in one time, they bring sin into the world For all of mankind. And so now, here this week, what we find them doing is we actually find them hiding. And so here comes God. They've sinned, they've crossed over the line, they they tried to cover themselves uh, by taking some branches from some trees. And here comes God, and it says, In the cool of the day. Now, theologians will debate on what exactly the, the, the purpose of this is. Um, I tend to to be in the camp of saying, really, what what the writer uh, uh, is trying to convey in this passage is that when they sinned, God didn't come immediately to them. It wasn't like they sinned and immediately God shows up. In fact, he allows them to kind of feel the weight of what sin feels like. He allows them to kind of grapple with the consequences of disobeying God. And so when it says the cool of the day, it means the sun is setting. And we know as the sun sets that the temperature begins to drop. And here comes God looking for his creation, the creation that he's made in his image. And where are they? None other than they're hiding. And so God says these words. He calls out to who? The man. And he says to him, where are you? Did God need to ask Adam where he was. Why is it that God calls out to man? Why didn't he call out to both of them? Why does he just call out to man? This is very important. See, in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, as God gives us the order of things and the way that he places things and what he has instituted for us in our lives is that he has called men to be the spiritual leaders of their homes. Adam's married. God brought Eve to Adam. They're a married couple. And so he is addressing man because he is saying, you are responsible for what has taken place. This is why here at Shepherd's Gate, as you know, we encourage men to be the spiritual leaders of their home. Men, we encourage you to be the ones that bring your families to church. You are the ones to lead your families in prayer. You are the ones to open God's word in your home and to read scriptures to your wife and to your kids in your home that you model the Christian life. That is what God has called you to do. And believe it or not, one day you will stand before Almighty God, and not only will you stand as a child of God before Almighty God, you will give an account for your marriage. You will give an account for how you raised your children and the influence that you had that God gave to you. Now, that's not to beat you over the head. That's not to tell you, if you're not doing this, that you're some complete failure. No, this is the beautiful part about Shepherd's Gate, is we give you the resources to be that spiritual leader. In fact, it's as easy as downloading our app. You click on the sermon series. There's questions in there that you can engage your spouse, that you can engage your kids with as we walk through the sermon series together. And so here he is, right here you have God calling out the man saying, Where are you? And so what does Adam say? He says this Well, I heard the sound of you in the garden. How do you hear the sound of God? God's a spirit. Can you imagine like the majesty of almighty God? The presence that, that God has that you can actually hear his presence? That, that he knew that, that God's presence was just was there in that moment and he was getting closer and closer and closer to him. And so he says this, I could hear you and I was what? Because all of a sudden I'm now. And I went and hid myself. I'm hiding from you. And I can tell you this, that every time we cross over that line, every time that we cave to sin, the first human response is shame. We feel the weight of that decision. We feel the weight of of not doing what God has actually commanded us to do. And do you know what the next human feeling leads to? It's fear. And honestly, this is actually a healthy fear if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you because all of a sudden you feel convicted. And so that fear is that you actually fear God. I disobeyed God. I did what he told me not to do. And are there going to be consequences for this decision? Are there going to be consequences because of the words that I spoke or what I allowed my heart to feel. And not only so, but all so often we go and we do the same exact thing that Adam and Eve do. We go into hiding, don't we? Let me put it this way. For those of you that have kids or you've had kids, okay? When your kids disobey you, when they do something and you tell them, I want you to do this and they either don't do it or they do the exact opposite of what they tell you to do and then all of a sudden you come around the corner or all of a sudden you walk into the kitchen or all of a sudden you hear, oh, the garage door go up because dad is home. What do kids instinctively do? Hide. How many of you, you want to be honest this morning, when you were a kid, you knew when you screwed up and you would go and you would lock yourself in the closet of your bedroom. And you've just figured, my parents will never, ever, ever think to look here for me. <laughs> There's no way that they know that I have a closet in my bedroom, but if I'm in this closet and I lock this door, I am somehow all of a sudden safe. I mean, kids do this stuff all the time. It was a couple years ago, my two boys were playing out in the front yard. It was at the beginning of COVID when we were all on lockdown. Do you remember that? When we were all just living the dream and loving on our families, and we had no connection to anybody in the outside world. And my two boys decided that they were going to go practice their golf swings. So they got their golf clubs out and... They decided that my perfectly landscaped front yard uh, should have divots all over it. So, (laughs) next thing you know, grass is flying everywhere. And Lisa and I, my wife, were in the kitchen when all of a sudden we hear what every parent dreads the most that scream. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you have had that happen with your kids when they just scream and instantly you know something is wrong? And next thing you know, our youngest son, Brady, comes through the house, and there's blood all down his face. And we're not even sure where he's bleeding or what has taken place, but right behind him is his older brother, Henry. And wouldn't you know that Henry looks at us with that look in his eyes, and he says, I didn't do anything wrong. And (laughs) he walked into my golf swing, and instantly, what does he do? He runs up to his bedroom, and he locks himself in his bedroom. Isn't that interesting that that's the normal human response? Do you realize that you get that normal human response from sin, from Adam and Eve? Thanks be to God that, you know, he didn't take out his eye and he's got this, you know, Brady's got this really cool scar on his head now. And by the way, I had to pay $10 to tell that story this morning (laughs) because anytime I tell a story about them now, I have to pay them. Which, where is he? Oh, you're right here. He's running the camera this morning. Which, this is how smart they are. He told me after the nine that I have to pay him for each service. (laughs) So I'm just going to double down with you this morning and tell you two weeks ago, two weeks ago, (laughs) true story, you said I could tell this, correct? Brady comes to our house and he's shaking and he's so nervous because he said there was an accident with our neighbor's kid. Now listen, parents, you know that when it's your own kids and they beat the tar out of each other, that's one thing. And then when you get news that somebody else has been hurt, somebody else's kids, and the anxiety and the fear just goes up even more so... Uh, because they were out playing in the neighbor's backyard, and somehow Brady accidentally hit our neighbor's kid uh, with a shovel on his head. Is that, is that true? <laughs> and what did you do? You went into hiding. <laughs> Here's the truth. we It's not any different for adults. It's not even different from some of the awful things that take place in our world. And isn't it interesting that even just a few weeks ago, January 1st, another Michigan State University student was struck by a car in Rochester and was killed. And the person that struck that 22-year-old student, his name is Benjamin, what did the lady do? Many of you know she got a one-way ticket and she got out of the country. She hid, she fled. And now here's our federal government trying to bring her back so that she can go through the legal process so that justice can be served. Like this stuff, it's real. This stuff that we read, this is what I'm trying to get you to understand. In the Bible, this isn't just some cute story of two naked people and a kid's book. I mean, this is actual real-life things That we deal with. See, God said it this way in Jeremiah. He said, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Do I not feel heaven and earth, declares the Lord? There is nothing we can hide from God. Hey, maybe we'll get into ourselves into some sin that we think we can hide from our spouse. Maybe there's some apps that we can download and, and, and you know, there's, you know, there, it, it looks like it's one thing, but it's really another. Or maybe there's some secret albums on our cell phones or our computers. Or maybe there's some things that we're going to do because, you know, we're all approaching tax season. And so maybe there's some fuzzy math. There's some things we can manipulate because we want to, you know, cheat the government and we don't want to pay our taxes. And so there's all these little things that happen all the time. And we don't realize the gravity of sin. That we just, it's not something really to poke at and to play with. That how terrible the traps that the devil sets for us actually are. I'll tell you this that covering themselves actually created a separation between the man and the woman. I want you to think about this. That in that moment, they realized that they were naked and they covered themselves. And because of that, there's been tension between man and woman. This is why marriage is hard work. Did you know that? This is why it's not easy for anyone who's in a marriage relationship. Folks, just even start with the simple things in marriage. I guarantee you there's not a couple in this room, a couple that is married or you're watching online, that you can agree with the temperature that your car should be when you're driving down the road. (laughs) I guarantee you nobody, nobody agrees on how many blankets should be on the bed or how many pillows each person should have in the bed. I guarantee you nobody agrees with how the the, uh, toothpaste roll should be properly handled in the bathroom. Do you know this is why people, you know this was some engineer that just got sick and tired of their spouse and they just created two knobs in the car to make people think I've got control of my side of the car. (laughs) I believe it was a builder that just said, you know what? From now on in a master bedroom, we're just putting two sinks. Enough of this. We are going to save marriages. We are going to put two sinks in all the new build houses. And those are the small things, folks. Think of all the tit for that, all the fights, all the little things, all day long, all week long, all year long. The devil, our sinful nature constantly getting in the way. And then, of course, we hide ourselves because it's created a separation between us and God. And just as I said last week, man, can we just stop thinking we can hide from God? Can we just stop with that idea? He knows, he sees, he understands, he knows our thoughts before we even think them. And it's not that that he's some vengeful God out to get us. No, he's a loving God that wants to take those areas of our lives those sins those lies that we have believed, the deception that we have believed, and he wants to take those from us so that he can wrap his arms around us and give us his love and his grace and his mercy. Well, look at what God does next. This is brilliant. By the way, parents, pay attention. This is an incredible parenting technique because God looks to the man and he says, who told you that you were naked? Who told you, Adam? Who was it? How did you know? And you imagine Adam in that moment. Just like we are with our kids. When we say, Why did you do that? What is always the response? I don't know. know. (laughs) Uh. No, we know. We just don't want to admit that we know. Did you eat from the tree? The one tree I told you not to eat from? And here was his opportunity as head of the house, as a spiritual leader of his home with him and Eve at this point. He could have said, God, you're right. It's on me. I should have known better. I was the one that heard what you said to not do. I told Eve, I'm the one that said, hey, listen, this is the tree that God said stay away from. And even though she was the one that took the first bite, I take responsibility because I'm the head of the house. I take responsibility that she sinned and I sinned together as a couple that we have sinned before you. God, please forgive me. That's not what he did. That's not the route that Adam chose to go. Instead, what does he do? He says to God, now remember, he's saying this to Almighty God, the woman whom you gave me. (laughs) She gave me the fruit. And I ate it. Now, this is where I can kind of see Adam's side because I would be like, listen, (laughs) I was naked, I was not afraid, I had everything I could hope, dream, or imagine. I never told you that I was lonely. Just truthfully, you read the text. It says that God saw that it was not good for man to be alone. You said it was. Not, I. There's nothing in the scriptures that say I ever said. <laughs> and so here he goes down this road of saying you gave her to me, you caused me to go into a deep sleep. I was perfectly fine. Next thing you know, I'm missing a rib, and there's someone that looks like me that's here in the garden with me. <laughs> I, that's scripture, folks. That's, that's how this thing unfolds. And so here he is. He's not even taking responsibility. And of course, he turns to the woman. And what is the woman? She does the same exact thing. She says, oh no, it was the devil. He was so smart. And he told me that maybe there were some things that I was missing out on in life. Maybe, maybe, maybe my knowledge of how this garden and how this world that you've created, you know, there, there were some limitations of what I know and I, and I wanted to know more. I wanted to know what it is that you know, God. And so I did. I crossed the line and I ate it, but, it, but, it wasn't, but it's not my fault. It's his fault. He's the one that deceived me. You guys all know what we call this. We call this the blame game. Come on, folks, think of your family. Think of the family dynamics that have been fractured because people blame other people for their sins. Think of your place of work sometimes when people are cutthroat to get promotions or they will undercut co-workers or they'll talk bad about their boss or their supervisor. It's not my fault, it's his fault. He's a terrible supervisor, he's a terrible owner, he's this, he's that, that employee, this, that aunt, that uncle, that sibling, that person. It's never us, we just get our finger out there and we just blame every single person other than ourselves. And I'll tell you this, look at the progression in in Scripture. Blame always leads to denial. You never take responsibility for it. And when you're in denial, it leads to unforgiveness, which I can tell you this, is one of the scariest places you can possibly be. And I wonder how many followers of Jesus, people that, that, that cling to the cross, that want God's forgiveness, walk around day in and day out, week in and week out, month after month, year after year, and they're still holding on to unforgiveness. They'll act like they forgive. They'll say the Lord's Prayer. They'll say, forgive my trespasses, I forgive those who trespass against us, but it's not actually true. And someone has hurt them, someone has sinned against them, someone has crossed a line, or they have done something, but they won't take responsibility for the sin that they have brought into the situation. And again, I think that's one of the scariest places that we can be. It's walking around unforgiven because of our stubbornness, because of our pride, because of our inability to humble ourselves. So I thought of this this week. Maybe this is as we continue going through Genesis and going back to the beginning. We just need to go back to the definition of sin because we've been talking a lot about it this month in February. What is sin? Do we know what sin is? Or how about this way? What is your definition of sin? How do you know when you have sinned? What is it? Don't do the Ten Commandments. Disobedience. Rebellion. Say that again. Born into sin. Lying. Guilt. Guilt. Here's what the Bible says. Are you ready for this? This is the biblical definition of sin. It's any thought, word, action, or desire that is contrary to God's commands. That means if you think it, if you say it, if you do it, which is the one we always focus on, even if you desire it, it is sin. Can I tell you this? We sin all the time. There are thoughts that we have throughout the day. There are feelings that we have towards other people. There are people I guarantee you that you are in conflict with, and every single time you see them, your back stands up and the hair on your neck stands up. You are holding on to unforgiveness. You are sinning in that moment without taking your hands and strangling them and killing them. You are still sinning because you have an unhealthy, sinful attitude and desire toward that person. See, let me walk you through the definitions of sin. There's actually two kinds of sin. One we looked at last week, which is original sin. Someone just said it. It is a total corruption of our whole human nature that we get from Adam and from our parents. All of us were born into sin. Psalm 51.5, we're sinful from the moment we are born, sinful from the time we are conceived. The second kind of sin is actual sin. An actual sin is every act against the commandment of God, again, in thoughts, words, actions, or desires. And both of these are at play. Both of these we are at war with all day, every single day. Now, I know we live in a world, in a society, when not everyone signs up for Team Jesus. Not everyone believes that Jesus is the King of the Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so how do you navigate that? How how does that function in the the world, in the the workplace, and in the family that you have if people don't share the same values that you have? Well, I would put it this way in view of our text. Atheists, people that say there isn't a God, they literally hide from God by saying there's no God. And if I say there's no God, then I get to be God. I mean, that's literally what Satan said to the woman. You will be like God. I don't need God on a throne because I can sit on my own throne and I become the judge and I'll determine what's right and wrong and I'll determine what sin is and what sin isn't. I get to play the role of God. Well, we know there's agnostics too. People that are uncertain and so they're like, you know, the universe is really huge and maybe I don't understand how how it all works together. There must be something more. There must be something out there. Well, simultaneously, they'll look at other religions and they'll say, well, look, there's all these other religions of the world and they have similarities to Christianity and so why can't we all just play by the same rules and don't all religions and all beliefs ultimately lead to the same God? And the answer is no. They're hiding behind that. And there's people in the church. People in the church that fall into these next two categories, works righteous people. Sometimes they get bad theology, which is the study of God, or they get bad doctrine, which is our beliefs in God. And so they believe that they have to pay the penalty for their sins. And so if I say this prayer this many times, or I do this act, or I write this check, or I go and I volunteer over here. Well, then maybe God will look at me with his favor and he'll realize that I'm not as bad as, as I think that I am. And so I'll pay for my sins so that God doesn't have to pay it for me. And this is a dangerous place to be, folks. If you've ever heard this, if you've ever been taught this, it's a lie. This is how I love to describe the works righteous trap that people fall in. You see the cross that is in front of every church and in every church building. Jesus does not need anybody to crawl on the cross with him. That's works righteousness. He died 2,000 years ago. He didn't need your help. You weren't even born yet. He's the only person that's able to outstretch his arms and to have his soul rocked by the sins of all of mankind. We cannot participate in this. We cling to the cross. We cling to what he's done for us because he's the only one worthy enough to be able to pay the sacrifice for our sins. Does that make sense? How about this last one? How about the self-righteous people? This is often what's poked at by people who aren't believers is they'll run into Christians who are, unfortunately, self-righteous, who deny that they're sinners. See, it was a few weeks ago, Lisa and I were hanging out with two other couples, dear friends of ours, and we had a conversation on this very subject, and we were talking about sin. And the two men that I was with, and I love these brothers dearly, both said this, That they can go a day without sinning. Now, hold on a second, because at first I thought they were joking. I was like, what? You're just pulling my leg. They said, no, we can go a whole day without sinning. And literally, my whole life, I have never ever heard that. I don't even know if that's possible. I'm like, how in the world can you go an entire day without sinning unless you are in a coma (laughs) or you're in a COVID nap or you're something where you're just not conscious? But this is why I think it goes back to, to the understanding of what actual sin is. How in the world do we go through a day without having one negative thought or one lustful thought? or having a desire for anything that's contrary to God's commands. We cannot do this on our own. In fact, one of Jesus' closest disciples, he put it this way, that if we claim to be without sin, we, de- we do what? Which is what the devil did to Eve in the garden and Adam in the garden. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In one moment, I kind of understand wh- why they say that and that understanding. But on the other hand, it, it just doesn't compute. We are so much full and surrounded by sin that sometimes it actually can be quite defeating, can it? It becomes overwhelming. And so the question then becomes, well, why even try? If that's the case and we can't even get through a day, if we can't even get through an hour, why even try? And not only so, but there's actual different forms of actual sin. There's two actual sins. There's a sin of commission, which is where you willingly commit the sin. You know it's wrong. You just go ahead and do it. And then there's also the sin called the sin of omission, where you know what is right and you don't do it. How often do we get caught in this trap? How often do we get put into a situation where we know that we should step in or we should speak up? Or we should help someone. We know the Holy Spirit's prompting our heart, and then our phone buzzes. We know we should go help this person over here, and all of a sudden we look at our calendar, we're like, I but I already have something scheduled for the day. How often do we actually commit the sin of omission? Scripturally, it's found in James. It says this: For uh, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, it gives birth to death. The sin of omission. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do, and if you don't do it, what do you do? That's God telling you it's sin. And all sin leads to death. But what do we do, folks? How do we find the way out? Thanks be to God, as the Apostle Paul is penning the letter to the church in Rome who is going through their hardships and their trials, he said, these, he said these words, the wages of sin is death, just as what God told Adam in the garden. Yes, it's true. He validates it. But here's the incredible part. The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Can you earn a free gift? Can you pay for a free gift? Can you somehow conjure up a way to... Do anything other than to receive God's grace and mercy into your life. No, it's all God. So much so that I love the way that Paul puts it a few chapters later. He says, you, however, you're not controlled by this sinful nature. But the spirit of the spirit of God lives in you. You do not have to be controlled by your sin. Isn't that incredible news? You do not have to be controlled by that thing, that area of your life, that habitual sin, whatever that is, that thing that keeps sneaking up over and over and over again in your life. You are not identified by God by that sin. You are identified by him as a child of God. And he wants to be part of helping you destroy that sin. He forgives that sin, and now he begins a journey with you to begin to rid that out of your life once and for all. And do you know where it begins? It all begins back in 1 John, where he says this, if we confess our sins, who's the one that's faithful? God. We're not the faithful ones. God is. He's the one who forgives us of our sins. And think of this, he purifies us, and he separates us, and he calls us by name, and he puts us on the path and the directory that he has for our life. Do you know this morning as we receive Holy Communion once again, and the reason that that we're doing this once again is because we believe that Christ is present in communion, in and with the bread and the wine. He offers us the forgiveness of his sins. That's why we hold it in such high regard. That as we do that, that as we confess our sins to him, here he comes along with his grace and his mercy. To once again remove those blemishes, to remove those obstacles, to remove the things that we have gotten ourselves involved in so that his spirit once again can rise up within us so that tomorrow as we take our first step to our places of work and into our families and into our neighborhoods or wherever we may go, we go as redeemed children of God. We go with fresh eyes and fresh perspective, realizing that, yes, we live in a fallen, sinful world. And, yes, we're constantly at battle with this fallen, sinful nature. But thanks be to God, he has delivered us through his son, Jesus Christ, who is our risen Savior and Lord. And that's what we celebrate in Holy Communion. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? And if you're new to Shepherd's Gate, you're watching online, the reason we bow our heads and we close our eyes is because this is when we get real with God. We admit that we're fallen, sinful human beings. That, God, we need your love and your grace and your mercy in our lives. And, God, not only do we need your love, grace, and your mercy, we need to learn how to extend that love and that grace and the mercy to others. But with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, Heavenly Father, you know every soul in this room. You know every soul that's watching online or that'll watch later on demand. And it's your spirit that's at work. And so we pray in this moment, God, would you convict our hearts once again? God, we know the sins that we need to confess to you. And if if there's sins this morning that maybe you have never confessed, Maybe there's areas of your life that you're holding on to, and you know the Holy Spirit is prompting you this morning to just even say it in your mind because you need to release it in your mind. You need to release it on a spiritual level so that God comes in and does his greatest work. He forgives you and he takes it from you and he says you were never made to carry this and I don't want you to carry this anymore. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Heavenly Father, we come to you. And we pause for a moment of silence as we confess our sins to you. We hope this message was helpful to you. You are welcome to join us live, in person, or online every Sunday. Or access more on-demand content at sgatechurch.org.